0: the idea that you you can actually prevent osteoporosis to a degree by laying down strong bone and muscle in your earlier years is something that people don't realize until it's too late right it's so important the three most common sites for for a fracture or, or for the the bone to be osteoporotic is in the hip the trochanter or the or the, um, the femoral neck wrist and lumbar spine. If you wanna increase the bone density in those parts of your bones, you've gotta train the muscles surrounding them because you get this pulling effect of muscle and tendon on bone, which can increase the bone density. But you also need to create force and put you know, ground reaction forces through your skeleton into those areas.
1: Welcome to The Proof Podcast, a space for science-based conversation exploring the health and longevity benefits that come with mastering nutrition, physical exercise, mindfulness, recovery, sleep, and alignment. Facts, nuance, and trustworthy recommendations minus the hyperbole. Today, I sit back down with my good friend and exercise physiologist, Drew Harrisburg, for a wide-ranging conversation covering everything from menopause to building strong bones to preventing cardiovascular disease to fruit versus smoothies, the importance of being kind, and details about our upcoming retreat or immersive experience, as we call it. A lot of this being key learnings from previous episodes with the likes of Dr. Thomas Dayspring and Professor Susan Davis. With that, please enjoy my conversation with Drew Harrisburg. One of the best ways to track our health is to regularly get blood work done so we can take a peek under the hood and get a feel for the state of our cardiometabolic and hormonal health. You can do this with your local doctor or you can use a service like Inside Tracker. The nice thing about Inside Tracker is they make the process super convenient. You can organize their phlebotomist, a person who draws blood, to come to your house or office to do the blood draw. A few days later, your results show up in the Inside Tracker app, and they provide lifestyle recommendations based on whether a particular test is suboptimal, normal, or optimal. I've checked Inside Tracker's lifestyle recommendations specifically the exercise and nutrition ones, and I can confidently say they are evidence-based and in line with the information shared in both my book and on this show. They even added ApoB to their ultimate plan, based on recommendation from myself and others. It's also nice to have all of your lab results readily accessible in one mobile app, making it easy to pull up past results and see trends and patterns over time. Get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. To get started, go to InsideTracker.com forward slash Simon for this exclusive offer. That's InsideTracker.com forward slash Simon. If you're a long time listener of this show, you'll be well aware of the scientific evidence that supports a high fiber, plant rich diet for good long term health. And while I certainly believe in a food first approach, there is a role for supplements to help optimize the intake of specific nutrients and address any nutritional gaps. Enter Amil. Emil is a plant-based wellness company with a series of products to help you optimize your plant-based diet. Two of my favorite products being the Essential 8 Multivitamin and the Optimal Omega Plus. The Essential 8 contains 8 key nutrients that plant-based eaters often fall short in, and the Optimal Omega Plus contains a direct source of DHA and EPA omega-3s, same as in fish, but from algae. In fact, taking Optimal Omega Plus daily, which contains 750mg of EPA and DHA, is equivalent to eating 2-3 to pieces of fatty fish per week, in line with the nutrition recommendations globally. To get your Essential 8 and Optimal Omega Plus, head to theproof.com forward slash friends and follow the link which will get you an extra 10% off your first order that's theproof.com forward slash friends okay what do you think of the new cockpit
0: mate this, this setup is very professional there's <laughs> an upgrade it's amazing and while we're here we should probably address the other elephant in the room yes your haircut new hair mate. New, new year new person mate it's it's wild
1: and new studio update
0: beautiful everything
1: freshness it's a new year we launched the studio on thursday yeah it was fun yeah so bondi waves or waves bondi actually waves Bondi. yeah
0: did you come up with that name uh i did actually yeah it's good yeah suits it
1: do you understand where that name comes from
0: um yeah i mean sound waves and we're on the beach so that's right ocean waves yeah so she put me on the spot there but i got that i nailed it so
1: this is a studio now that's not only for you and i yeah but for the public so we're kind of looking forward to seeing who we can work with and helping other people produce their shows yeah love it
0: i mean i've uh, there was the one in bali that we saw obviously where Mm -hmm. it was like a studio that lighthouse lighthouse yeah i feel like this is the lighthouse of bondi right yeah sort of what you're trying to do
1: definitely got a lot of inspiration I, i mean i still use lighthouse myself when i'm over there yeah great place it makes it a lot easier if you're just wanting to focus on the content yeah to have a team that manages the audio and the video production side of things and then the, the distribution to Spotify and to Apple there's a lot of moving
0: pieces. so all of that is built in to all the of waves. that's built in right so I people, didn't know that. People
1: can come in here got you literally just focus on the, having the conversation Wow and then it can be fully edited it can be distributed out there can be deals with advertisers. Brilliant! All that sort of stuff. What if
0: someone wants to do that part themselves? They can do they can that too. Still to use the studio just right. to record, and then they take their assets and produce it over they want. You can
1: come in even with your own producer if you want. Cool. And just use the equipment in the space. So good. Or you can take advantage of the kind of full, complete, end-to-end yep. offering.
0: So yeah. What people aren't seeing is the kitchen downstairs as well.
1: Yeah. So the kitchen. Great and studio. That,
0: that's that's probably more
1: for I guess people creating content. Maybe they uh, do recipes online. Yeah. if they're in the like fitness space, or you you often do a lot of yeah. I used it the other day cooking, and yeah. um, it's a an nice space down there.
0: Yeah, really good kitchen for that. Way better than my even own courses.
1: Kitchen. I think I think people might use that True. space to do cooking courses. Show the practical
0: mm. side of things mm. and got all the lighting set up, and it's just man, it's kitted out. It's fantastic. Yeah, uh, you just measured your blood glucose i did i How used was my it? cgm we back on another episode of the cgm podcast <laughs> <laughs> yes we are actually i read a i think it's an eight part review sorry of did you see it dr guess okay i say i read it i've yeah.
1: skimmed it it's at me this too. stage me too. um but i do trust dr nicola guess's yeah. interpretation yeah. of this area given like she's a domain expert When it comes to diabetes and blood glucose excursions and she just did this um i think it's an eight part Mm. kind of almost rebuttal to the use of cgms in people without diabetes right
0: which has ramped up beyond what i thought was possible Mm. since our first episode i feel like when we first spoke about it it was it was just surfacing Mm -hmm. and now it is just it's taken off Right, it's taken off the speed at which people have adopted it. A new companies coming out now, similar to Levels. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the name, of it. I saw it pop up on like an Instagram ad, mm-hmm. which is basically a you know a software or tech sort of product. That mm. I know you. some of
1: the guys involved, like Drew Drew Porrett right,
0: and Casey Means from that company. Yeah, I'm still, I'm still on the fence. Mm. I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent against it. Um, All I'll, I need to see is one study.
1: Yeah, is. simple study that shows when you give that tool to people with a set of instructions it improves their dietary quality the dietary pattern in a way that we know is is uh, supportive of long-term health okay and if they can show that yeah then that's a reasonable first
0: step because i'd like to see something beyond that i'd like to see So in the short term, does that data help you improve your lifestyle day-to-day, improve the quality of your diet, like you said, Mm -hmm. maybe improve, you know, how many steps you take a day, does it lead to you exercising more, different types of exercise? Mm -hmm. But I think beyond all of that, the most important thing is what are the health outcomes in 10 years from now or 20 years if you follow the data and change your lifestyle in a certain Mm -hmm. way? Does it actually improve your health or not? that's yeah. the question well, I'm i
1: mean ask. short of that though you yeah. can you have you can only really look at these surrogate type things how right. do how do biomarkers change um how do how does a dietary pattern score change also how does anxiety and right. and, and depressive symptoms and enjoyment of life quality right. of life obviously includes that aspect as well exactly exactly so there's a little bit more research to be done there yeah. But I it mean, is interesting that it's become so popular in the mainstream
0: ahead of any of that so popular. research being done. I, watched, I don't know if you've seen, On. I love golf, but uh, there's a Netflix series uh, called Full Swing, where mm-hmm. it's like Formula started. One. Did you watch it? Yeah, I've
1: noticed actually they've taken Rory the Formula goes? One formula and now it's being applied to golf. There's another
0: one, tennis. Yeah, that was good too. Um, same producers of, of the show. So Rory McIlroy wears the CGM. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen any the episodes. Probably towards the end you'll start seeing it on his arm. And again, like as soon as that aired conversations what's on his arm what does it mm-hmm. do da, da, da. and i'm sure that's bumped up usage of cgms yeah. and the apps as well but you've got people like nicola Guest, dr guess who
1: we're gonna sit down with her or we're trying to yeah, at some stage we'll, anyway. i think
0: we'll, we'll get it done um she's she's going hard like she's not holding back and she's calling people yeah. out and, and saying listen this is what the science shows unless you can show me evidence that proves like what you just said mm. then at the moment it seems just like a bit of fluff a bit of quackery a bit yeah. of a badge of honor
1: I get the feeling that it's
0: kind of wearing thin on someone like her,
1: who is so steeped in the science and the understanding, but is finding this landscape very ch- challenging because it's it's impossible for her information to get as much coverage mm-hmm. in mainstream media. So, you you well, I sense that frustration coming out. In For sure. In her tone. And, in her tone, yeah. a little bit.
0: Yeah, and she's not holding back. She doesn't, she's not pretending to be upset about, you know, making people triggered or anything. She's just going hard and saying what she believes. But the other day, I didn't even tell you this. I was at the outdoor gym and I, obviously I've got my CGM on my arm and I'm shirt off at the gym and this guy comes up to me and he says, um, what what's how much does it cost for one of those devices on your arm? I'm like, well, it's just been subsidized. So, if you have type one diabetes in Australia, it's subsidized. Blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, type one and type two. Is um, it subsidized I don't for? think for type two. No, I'm pretty sure just type one. Um, and he says, because my sister, she doesn't have diabetes, but she's got cancer, and I want to put her on a CGM mm-hmm. because the science shows that if you get your blood sugar below, it was like. The number he quoted was very low. It was like below four point two millimoles that cancer cells cannot proliferate.
1: Yeah, so this (laughs) is this is fascinating though, because I haven't yet released an episode. Yeah. And you don't even know I've recorded this episode. It comes out in two or three weeks with Dr. Neil Ayengar and Dr. Mm. Irvi Shah. Right. And they're both oncologists, researchers, who are looking at how do different diets potentially affect risk of developing cancer, but then in the setting of once someone has cancer, right. how do they affect the growth of the cancer, potentially acting as uh, a sort of adjunct therapy alongside chemotherapy, or if someone has uh, beaten cancer, how does a certain diet affect recurrence rate mm. a- and, and help people stay in remission? And I mean, they kind of outline a lot of these mechanisms because you do hear from from people online talking about a keto diet in yep. that it can starve cancer cells right. by lowering glucose right. um, you also I hear claims about ketones themselves being sort of anti carcinogenic and so everyone can look forward to this conversation but long story short I asked about all of those things and those yeah. are not proven in human clinical trials at all right. there is some interest there like in the Neil and Ervie um, are both very pro sort of plant-rich diets but they do acknowledge that from a mechanistic point of view for certain cancers mm. there are certain types because cancer is um, that each cancer is not the same right. <laughs> there are so many different types and some cancers thrive in an environment of high insulin yep Right. So there is some, I guess, mechanistic rationale for, for them to look at a ketogenic dietary intervention mm. for particular types of cancer, but it's unproven at this stage. Yep. And they were of the view that even if it was successful, you would be far better off combining plant-based keto-style eating and try and get the best of both
0: worlds. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, his, I mean, his whole uh, idea was to get a CGM-free sister, mm-hmm. put her on it for twelve months, twenty-four months. Keep her blood glucose below 4.2 to, you know, quote unquote, starve the cancer cells of glucose and insulin, mm. and feed the body with ketones and all this stuff. And he's like, "How much does it cost?" And I'm like, "Well, if you if you're not if it's not subsidized for your sister, out of pocket, it's going to be you know roughly four to five thousand dollars a year." It's now, expensive. It is expensive, but if you're if you've got cancer and you will do whatever it takes to improve your chances mm. of survival or treatment or whatever it is, then and and you can afford it this is where I was thinking this is what, as soon as he said that to me I'm like is this a do-no-harm approach like weigh this out for a second he gets a CGM for his sister mm. she spends four to five thousand dollars on it for the year not
1: if it means that she thinks that's been proven and that she right. can turn like turn down other therapeutic interventions that maybe have better evidence
0: that's a good point but number two is the whole reason he wants to put her on the CGM is so that she follows a keto diet to show her that when you eat carbohydrates, your blood glucose goes above whatever, mm. which equals bad in his, in his view. So it left me thinking, is this a do-no-harm approach or not? And I actually don't think it is because if she then changes her diet to one that includes carcinogenic foods mm. in the pursuit of low blood glucose, mm-hmm. that's what we're dealing with here. It's mm. this push-pull. So I, I really, I said to him, listen, I can't, adv- I have no advice here. It's out of my expertise. I do not know what to do. He was also very staunch and very, mm. got in my face a little bit and things got a little heated. So I just left it and <laughs> I, I walked away from that one. That was that was my moment of uh, meeting a, what you would see in like a, trolly Instagram comment section in real life Mm -hmm. like an aggressive dude like really strong opinions Mm. it becomes difficult
1: because I understand like if someone has cancer and let's say that a certain diet hasn't been formally tested and shown um, they don't want to (laughs) wait right so they have to make a choice based on what is the information that we have now so I kind of understand where some of these concepts and ideas yeah um, come from but it's also important to add that it's not just a ketogenic diet that is sort of um, decreases insulin levels a whole food plant-based diet right. also is not doesn't have a, a huge sort of glycemic load and um, insulin is yeah. not crazy high as well so um, it kind of remains to be formally proven you know what is the best diet for someone once they have cancer mm. um, but arguably there, there may be other parts of their lifestyle that are just as important if not more important to focus on during that time
0: i i did a little PubMed search after i spoke to him just to see what the research Mm. was out with ketones and cancer and there is some compelling evidence that like it may possibly help you know decrease tumor growth and stuff like that being in a ketogenic diet however there were some papers where ketones increased tumor growth Mm. depending on the type of cancer and where it was so Mm. it's so complicated and
1: that's why it is also important to go back to your oncologist who knows your the type of cancer that you have and then you can make sure that the research you're looking at is specific to that yeah um to just to further confuse the audience and you (laughs) i brought a study today okay (laughs) (laughs) makes sense to to bring this up now it's titled i i'm I'm bringing this study to the table because I just think it's interesting and the findings are counterintuitive mm-hmm. to what I would have predicted. Okay. We can discuss in light of what we've just spoken about with regards to CGMs and blood glucose control, um, how to interpret these findings and what they actually mean, and even if they're important, that's a different question. So, postprandial glycemic response to whole fruit versus blended fruit in healthy young adults... Nicola will be furious I'm bringing a paper that's looking at glycemic response in healthy young adults But are they wearing
0: CGMs? Probably So
1: <laughs> they are wearing CGMs and they, long story short they wanted to look at whether the uh, blood glucose response to whole fruit is different to the same fruit, same quantity but blended Okay. and there is some really interesting previous studies that have looked at actually first what would you predict so my prediction would be so in 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 scenario a let's use the, the fruits that they had yeah they had apple and blackberries okay okay let's take the same so you've got that on a bowl and you could sit down and you could eat that yep the second option is the exact same quantity of apple and blackberries but we blend them and now you drink it as a smoothie
0: okay with
1: water With water, So there's no no other
0: macronutrients, calories coming in. It's literally just the fruit blended with water versus the whole fruit. Mm -hmm. Okay, so my brain's gone in a couple directions. Straight away, that took me back to uni where I remember seeing a paper. This was years and years ago when I was actually studying it at um, Sydney Uni. Looking at the difference in glycemic response to... Very similar to this, but it's actually kind of gross now that I think about it. Vegetables. Um... (laughs) and a glass of water compared Mm -hmm. to a soup of those exact same ingredients So similar study right ones you're talking about Mm -hmm. a fruit smoothie this one was like vegetables my memory of that study was also that it was a counterintuitive Mm -hmm. outcome where the soup reduced gastric emptying so the rate at which the food would leave your your stomach therefore the glucose spike from the soup meal with all the water and the, the voluminous you know, uh, space that gets taken up in your stomach slowed down the glucose entering the blood, mm. and the, the spike was not as, it didn't happen as quickly. Mm. It was like, that's slower Roll's work, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. It was a long time ago. I can't we'll remember. We'll find
1: that study. I think it <clears> is her work.
0: So, my thought is for this, potentially.
1: Because that, that study was used to um, recommend people have more soup if they're trying to lose weight from memory.
0: Okay. Interesting. We'd have to dig up. The, we'll we dig we can come back to that paper. So, yeah, I mean, I'm thinking that the smoothie version might reduce the rate of gastric emptying mm-hmm. because there's more water, more volume. Mm-hmm. Although it is counterintuitive because you would think when you eat apples and blackberries, it's slower, to, it takes longer. So to So, in this, it. they had to... 200
1: mils of water.
0: It is, I should have said this.
1: Okay. <laughs> when they ate the apple and the blackberry yeah. as whole foods, they also had to drink 200 mils of water. To just sip it throughout? Yep. And then in the smoothie, it was 200 mils of water in, in a combination of water and ice. Okay. So, same volume, but one was like sort of integrated and blended. Yeah. And, drum roll. So, <coughs> you're right. The, so, the glycemic uh, response was better in the smoothie.
0: That is counterintuitive, though. A lot um, of people of would study, be thinking.
1: Because right? you think, okay, it's liquid. It's going to be absorbed rapidly. Right will see a higher peak which right. they didn't see they saw a lower peak and the area under the curve was lower now i just want to really emphasize both groups had normal responses yeah, yeah. so the whole fruits see, this study could be misinterpreted where you could say wow i'm gonna blend all of my fruit right i don't want people to walk away with that yeah. um <clears throat> we but i do think that if someone has pre-diabetes or type 2 and is really having trouble controlling their blood glucose yep. that could be a strategy interesting now The interesting thing is there are other studies that have compared, say, mango as a whole fruit with mango as a a smoothie or a fruit like banana, right? These are without seeds. So when you take a fruit that's just flesh and there's no seed, there's no difference. seems to be no difference between eating the whole fruit and the blended. When you take something with seeds, like passion fruit's been done, and in this case, it was blackberries, which have a lot of seeds... And those seeds are rich in soluble fiber, and they're also very rich in polyphenols. More polyphenols inside the seeds than there are in the blackberry flesh. The hypothesis of this group is that you liberate fiber from the seeds that otherwise wouldn't be liberated, would just pass through.
0: Wait, if when you smooth, when you blend it? When you blend it. But you'd think your teeth would grind the seeds down, you'd chew them into the same consistency. Or in fact, yeah. my brain was telling me that the smoothing or blending mm. would not break down the seeds because it would just miss the blades and end up being whole. Like that's
1: So <laughs> I don't think their investigation went to the depths of looking at the seeds. What was the, what was the structure of those Shame afterwards? On them, mate. Shame um, on them. But this is one hypothesis, right? Yeah. And it could be wrong. Yeah. So it was that the polyphenols and the fiber within the seeds are sort of liberated yeah they slow down gastric emptying particularly the fiber by making it sort of more viscous in the small intestine and then the polyphenols really interesting they actually will inhibit some of the glucose transporters in the small intestine so that's the kind of working hypothesis and and, I guess the take-home message is that seeded fruit when it's in a smoothie, seems to improve blood glucose response. Who is that potentially important for? I think someone who has type 2 diabetes or pre-diabetes that's having challenges with blood glucose control with Mm. their fruit consumption. Mm. Um, Outside of that, I'm not sure.
0: That's really... I'd love to see a graph of the rate of glucose entering the blood. You got a graph there? You got a whole paper there? There we go. Thank you, sir. Science Hill to the rescue. (laughs) I I think
1: that might... Well, that's the area so under the curve.
0: Yeah, so I want to see the whole fruit. Because my without, before I even look at this, mm-hmm. I haven't seen this study before, my intuition would have said chewing the fruit takes longer. Mm-hmm. The rate of glucose, so the time to consume and ingest it would take longer. Whilst a smoothie, you just drink it down. So you can consume it quickly, right? But the, the gastric emptying takes longer, right? Mm-hmm. When you drink the smoothie.
1: But see, intuitively, I would have thought gastric emptying would was be faster.
0: faster with but, the smoothie. Right. And I, I'm sure most people would think that. The only reason I kind of knew the answer was because of that soup study that I remember from years ago at uni. Because I remember at that time going, I got it wrong. My intuition was that the people eating the vegetables and the drinking the, the water would ha- have a different response. I
1: wish there was a third arm, straight up apple juice. But oh, yeah. that was I think we by know the far answer to that, yeah. That, that would have be... resulted in the highest peak For and sure. highest area under the curve. Because it would have been the least amount of fiber, polyphenols, so or I'll at just... least less compared to the, the smoothie with the seeded fruit.
0: So this does look like... The whole fruit did have a a sharper rise in glucose even Mm -hmm. so the rate of glucose entering Mm -hmm. there's something in
1: the mechanical (laughs) disruption of the the seeds seems to be
0: okay I love it it's a good great study anyway
1: maybe smoothies aren't so bad after all I'd
0: never thought they were bad I'd have them every single day and uh, I've got diabetes Mm -hmm. and I wear a CGM Mm-hmm. And um, pretty, I'm pr- I'm pretty happy with Define the, the odds curves right <laughs> in fact, I had a smoothie just before I came here and um I'll show you right now show us the, the proof. spike are you ready for the spike I wanna see it so I had banana blueberry half a cup of oats mm-hmm. do you uh, I, I a lot I of carbs put, in i
1: tend to put a lot of banana in my
0: smoothies I, f- I have a f- one full frozen and blueberries.
1: banana do you, do you eat more blueberries or raspberries blackberries What's your favorite
0: a mix i I buy a mix yeah but this is my spike <laughs> that's that's a lot of carbs all right Wow. I mean some people it's very stable. So, but here's the thing here's the thing a lot of people who don't have diabetes who are a CGM would see a spike spike mm-hmm. quote-unquote like that and eliminate that food because the flatter the better right mm-hmm. according to a lot of people so you can see how like as long as within two hours you come back down to that completely normal range mm-hmm. you're fine but a lot of people see that elevation and go oh no it went above four and a half millimoles or, or whatever the the milligrams per deciliter or whatever it is and they'll eliminate mm-hmm. foods out of their diet so you got to know what data you're looking at and how to interpret it yeah well
1: let's let's link to nicola's post yeah and then we'll get her on yeah and i think all of that will become Amazing. abundantly clear for people what's next what's next on on the
0: on the outline that we haven't created um well should I share a study (laughs) while we're here yeah okay I brought in study this this study (laughs) it's been making the rounds in sports science um, and I'm yet to decide whether it's an interesting study or just a complete waste of time but (laughs) I'll leave that to you okay you can provide the verdict so the study is called the influence of long life if you've read this before we'll don't ruin the the results The influence of long-lasting static stretching on maximal strength muscle thickness and flexibility Hmm, have not it's super interesting okay so 52 subjects split into two
1: groups intervention and control i reckon i know the outcome of this based on your views of stretching
0: you probably do know the outcome the intervention group wore a orthotic device okay so it's this device you clip onto your foot it stretches the Mm gastrocs So it puts your ankle into dorsiflexion. Dorsiflexion. So you're Mm -hmm. stretching the plantar flexors. So your Mm. calf, soleus, gastroc. They wore it for an hour a day, seven days a week for six weeks. If this gives you bigger calves, (laughs) sign me up. (laughs) Sign me up. We'll get to that. Okay. So they wore this device. So you basically apply it to your foot. You cinch it up to a level that gives Mm. you about an eight out of 10 RPE. In your sole or your shoe? No, like barefoot in a device. You're at home. Oh, you're not walking around. You're not walking around. Okay. That would look very funny. But anyway, so they've got basically two chairs. They're sitting on one chair and they've been told to sit at basically like a, a mm. 90 degrees, like an L. Okay. They're going to lift the one leg up, place it on the chair with the device on their foot. How much dorsiflexion are we talking here? The, the, the range differed as you went along. Okay. So they weren't told about degrees. They were just told cinch it to an eight out of 10 discomfort level. Mm -hmm. which is pretty high man 8 out of 10 for an an hour an hour hour. so you got this thing on your leg for an hour at an 8 out of 10 and you're sitting with your foot on a so you have to keep coming into more dorsiflexion to maintain an 8 out of 10 because it would dissipate correct you You keep well that's a good question I'll I'll dig that up but my understanding is for that session you reach an 8 and then you leave it for the hour and then the next session Mm That eight might be a little bit more. You might get an extra few degrees of dorsiflexion because you've maybe gotten a Mm. bit more flexible. So anyway, they do this on only one leg. So they didn't want to do it on both legs so that you can use the individual as the Mm. control within the intervention group, if that makes sense. So the control group did nothing. And they looked at strength. So tested as a one RM plantar flexion on the leg press machine. So you know when you do like a calf raise on a leg press. So you, you, they did 1RM strength, static and dynamic. So how much you know, force can you push against a force plate without anything moving? And then the other one was actual like a repetition. Um, and then they tested hypertrophy via like an ultrasound, the cross-sectional area of the gastrox. And then the last thing they tested was uh, range of motion or flexibility of that ankle joint with like a needle wall test. Mm-hmm. Okay. So three outcomes. What do you think the results were? So, strength. What would have happened to the stretched leg when they did the strength testing, up or down? Down. Reckon if they got weaker. Mm. Okay. So what actually happened? <laughs> their isometric strength increased by seventeen percent, and their dynamic stre- strength increased by twenty five percent. Wow. No, just remember, no resistance training protocol only stretching, all right? And the non-stretched leg increased by 11% because mm-hmm. you get that cross education, which is quite known that if you train one limb, mm. the other limb gets a little bit of that the the benefits because of the zero n- pathway. stretch, are, one correct? One limb. Right? So big increase in strength, control group either no improvements like zero or minus. They actually got worse. Okay? Mm-hmm. Range of motion? What would you think would happen there? Yeah, increase. Yeah, so they had a thirteen percent increase in range of motion, um, and a twenty-seven percent increase in the angle of dorsiflexion. So it's like really significant. Increase Did range, range of motion increase in the control? Um, I'll, I'll tell you that right now. No, two percent increase, two mm-hmm. percent, I think. Um, and then the, so there was the cross education, and then what about? And this one this is the best part, the hypertrophy. What do you think? Well, now I'm going to guess that it,
1: they had increased
0: hypertrophy. <laughs> 15% increase in hypertrophy. Wearing a orthotic device that stretches your car for an hour a day for seven days a week over six weeks. Mm-hmm. 15%. They did no repetitions. They didn't lift anything. So that how had do you make sense of that as a stimulus? Well, so there's a few things, but going back to, I think, I can't remember if it was our last episode of the one before, remember we spoke about long versus short partials? Mm-hmm. So training a muscle in a lengthened position versus shortened position. The long partials, typically when you train a muscle in a stretched or a lengthened position, you get a bit more hypertrophy, especially distal hypertrophy, than mm-hmm. if you do short partials. So the example in most of the studies are um, like a leg extension machine, the, the beginning of the range of motion where your le- leg is bent, that would be where your quads are at length. So if you, sh- if you only work in that small range of motion at the start of a leg extension versus the end of a leg extension when your leg is locked out so Mm -hmm. so the subjects that did the the leg extension with uh, long muscle lengths had a bit more hypertrophy Mm -hmm. so it's something to do with this stretch mediated hypertrophy so independent of contracting the muscle there's the stretch on the muscle is producing a Mm -hmm. a a, some kind of stimulus to make the muscle grow bigger and stronger I don't understand muscle morphology and architecture enough to actually f- like know exactly what it is, mm. but like it could be the the fi- something to do with fiber angles and pennation and um. You I know,
1: wonder what would have happened if they had been training. Yeah, both that, groups were training.
0: That'd be interesting. I I would still think, I reckon you would have. Uh, I'm completely extrapolating here, but my understanding is based off this, considering that their strength actually went up. Mm. right after six weeks imagine if they were strength testing or or, or, sorry strength training throughout those six weeks yeah now their volume goes up right they got more volume they've also got this benefit of having that hour of stretching so the way I see it is stretch volume Mm. so how many hours a week of stretching you do for a muscle group can actually influence maybe the strength of the muscle one hour a day yeah it's long It's, it's, it's impossible to do every group muscle group <laughs> no, no no you wouldn't, you wouldn't. <laughs> that's right. imagine you had a so device from on muscle a point group. of view right
1: I'd also be interested in whether there's any um,
0: differences in injury uh, I don't think they didn't look at that but that's, that's a very good good point because we we've seen a lot of studies show that static stretching which is exactly what this is like mm. long duration I mean this is ridiculously long duration mm. this is an hour but even like 60 to 90 seconds of static stretching can reduce force mm. output So, like, you you would not want to do this before, right? Before immediately, before uh, before you're sprinting or running or training in the gym or something like that. So, what's the what's the application, right? What's what's the the takeaway takeaway here? (laughs) Well, anyone who has really skinny calves and is really desperate, go get an orthotic device, (laughs) put it on for an hour a day, and you might get a little bit of growth in the calves. Yeah. I mean, look, that's the that's the joke of this study is like, how do we apply this? Like, what what can we really learn from this? So, I would say for an athlete who's injured. Perhaps let's mm-hmm. say they've got a like someone like you. Remember, you, right. t- you so you tore your calf when we were playing paddle, mm-hmm. ruined the game for everyone. We we're all having a blast. By the
1: way, I'm back now, and <laughs> the calf's great, and I'm playing better than ever.
0: Okay, prove it. I'd like to yeah. see that. I've got video evidence of me beating you. <laughs> Remember, I posted. I'm actually that? undefeated these days. No, you can't. You can't just say that. <laughs> no evidence. Show me the evidence. Anyway, um, so if you let's say you were injured, right, and you had trouble weight bearing or getting up or making it to a gym, and you were Bedridden at home, which mm-hmm. you were for a while when we were mm-hmm. in Bali. Imagine if you chucked your orthotic mm-hmm. device on the other leg. Yeah, on the other one. Yeah, mm-hmm. you might get some cross education to the mm-hmm. injured leg. That's one way I could see it working. Be good in a hospital setting. Hospital setting, people with you know type two diabetes have like foot ulcers or, or conditions where they can't weight bear. Mm-hmm. I mean, use, use your imagination. But at, the, at this stage, it's very early on. It
1: might inform more studies that then bring a more practical
0: kind of intervention <laughs> true and it might just inform the mechanism behind what drives hypertrophy when you're getting uh, your muscle stretched mm-hmm. but then for the, for all the yogis out there because tell me if this had happened to you i've met guys and girls who i look at their body and i'm like they definitely lift weights and then i ask them what they're doing they're like i oh, just yoga And i'm like how do you look so like well built mm-hmm. like not like they have like a l- sort of long stringy muscles but like really Good muscle bellings. Defined. Yeah, defined. And I'm thinking perhaps something to do with this stretch-mediated hypertrophy mm-hmm. could it be you know, uh, affecting people who mm-hmm. do yoga or another, other forms of stretching. Mm-hmm. It's just a theory.
1: If you've tuned in to the many episodes I've done focusing on cardiovascular disease, the leading cause of death globally, you'll be well aware that ApoB is a better biomarker for measuring our risk of having a heart attack or stroke than LDL cholesterol. The only problem is that not every pathology lab is set up to test ApoB levels. Fortunately, this has now been made easier by Inside Tracker, a leading health and wellness company founded in 2009 by experts in aging, genetics, and biometric data from Harvard, MIT, and Tufts that provides lifestyle advice based on your blood test results. With the new edition of ApoB, tracker's ultimate plan and create a lifestyle that delivers better health for longer. Get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. To get started and redeem this offer, go to InsideTracker.com forward slash Simon. That's InsideTracker.com forward slash Simon. Hey friends, the scientific evidence on lifestyle habits that lead to longevity is clear. Now it's time to put this knowledge into action. I'm excited to announce the Living Proof Longevity Challenge, a 12-week program to build evidence-based lifestyle habits to optimize longevity. My team and I have transformed over hundreds of hours of conversations with experts on aging, nutrition, and exercise into a life-changing 12-week program that will challenge you to develop habits that lead to a longer, better life. of how powerful these science-backed habits really are. Head over to theproof.com forward slash livingproof to download your zero-cost copy of the Living Proof Longevity Challenge today. That's theproof.com forward slash livingproof. Look forward to joining you on this journey. Yeah, we wanted to touch on yoga when we were talking about bone mineral density. That's right, yeah, yeah and uh, osteoporosis
0: mm. who was that episode with sorry I forgot her name Susan Davis Susan so Davis. that
1: was I did an episode I've done two episodes now with her yeah she's an endocrinologist uh, based down in Melbourne works at Monash University she's doing a bunch of clinical trials randomized um, double blind placebo clinical trials looking at hormone replacement therapy yeah her focus at the moment is on testosterone for women mm-hmm for a variety of different indications but she's running the studies to see what the effect is and um, safety profile and all that sort of stuff but during during our second episode which hasn't been released yet it might by the time this is out we spoke a little bit more about osteoporosis so uh, when a woman um, reaches menopause i think in the first 5 years after menopause. Mm. So menopause being um menopause is the date when a woman has her last period and you know that 12 months later when there's been no period for 12 months. But in the first 5 years after menopause in that postmenopausal period the average woman loses about 10% of bone mineral density. Wow. Yeah. And most of that is attributed to this drop in estrogen mm. and that's thought to be why estrogen um, replacement therapy has been shown in clinical studies to lead to lower risk of osteoporosis. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a couple of things for people to consider there. We went through it in the episode in that not everyone um, can take, is a candidate for hormone replacement therapy. If you have a history of breast cancer or endometrial cancer or ovarian cancer, um, unfortunately it's contraindicated, but um, it is indicated for women with mostly with these like vasomotor type symptoms hot flashes night sweats um, vaginal atrophy trouble sleeping all of that sort of stuff so those are like the acute symptoms of menopause and then one of the potential benefits long term is this protection against bone mineral density loss we were talking about this um, because of course lifestyle is very important as well Mm. what you're eating um, not smoking trying not to drink a lot of alcohol Um, key nutrients of focus like calcium vitamin d k2 um, b12 protein Mm. Um, but a really important part of lifestyle is exercise Mm. and you and i were talking about it because you'd looked at the research Mm. recently looking at what is the best exercise for someone to do that wants to uh, maintain or improve bone mineral density yeah
0: yeah I I, I listened to that episode I, I learnt a lot I didn't know half the stuff that she was talking about really 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 interesting stuff uh, there was a there was a part in the episode I think where you asked about exercise modalities and her response was I'm paraphrasing here but it was something like you need to do resistance training mm-hmm. and that yoga is just not enough Mm-hmm. Or, or doesn't work or something like that. I'm slightly paraphrasing mm-hmm. you. I might have even asked her a leading question. So my understanding was the exact same as hers, which was that resistance training is extremely important. In fact, laying down your bone and your bone density in your early 20s, 30s, way before menopause is one of the most important things you, you can do to create mm-hmm. that buffer, right? And it peaks in your 20s or I think early so. 30s. and then you have what, like a natural decline. Yeah. But, but the idea that you you can actually prevent osteoporosis to a degree by laying down strong bone and muscle in your earlier years is something that people don't realize until it's too late Mm. right it's so important so I looked at the research I wanted to see what the current like more up-to-date research is because when I did exercise physiology at uni like there was all the, the idea that you could do multimodal exercise was always something very important right multimodal meaning resistance training plus um, impact high impact sort of uh, exercise plus you know what about the effects of yoga or Pilates mm. or there's all these questions that people want to know the answer to I looked at a paper very recently I'll find you the title of it I don't have it on my screen here but I'll we can put it on put, the screen on this was a brilliant it was a review of the research uh, showing what are the different modes of exercise you can do what are the effects what is the minimum effective mm. dose? How many reps? How many sets? How heavy should it be? What's is the intensity? for a woman in her twenties and thirties, or a woman. I think that's... this was premenopausal. Okay. But they also, in this research review from my memory, they actually looked at the same interventions in postmenopausal mm-hmm. women, and some of these interventions didn't work in postmenopausal, but did work in premenopausal. And the yes. theory there is exactly what you just mentioned: if you have low hormone levels. Mm then no matter what you do response might be different response is different right even if it's the exact same exercise protocol but like high level in a nutshell when you're exercising for osteoporosis especially when you're in your let's say let's say you're you're premenopausal and you have either osteopenia or you're at risk of developing osteoporosis right Mm -hmm. the principle of specificity is one of the most Mm -hmm. important things right which
1: someone would know if they had a
0: a DEXA DEXA scan and they get their t-score exactly so the adaptation you get will be site specific if you th- like the three most common sites for, for a fracture or, or for the, the bone to be osteoporotic mm-hmm. is in the hip the mm-hmm. trochanter or, the, or the, um, the femoral neck right wrist mm-hmm. and lumbar spine mm-hmm. if you want to increase the bone density in those parts of your bones you've got to train the muscles surrounding them, because you get this pulling effect of muscle and tendon on bone, which can increase the bone density. But you also need to create force and put, you know, ground reaction forces through your skeleton into mm-hmm. those areas, right? So, the classic example is like a, a young, a young woman who is overtraining in terms of energy expenditure. So, like the red s yeah. uh, typical scenario, right? Over uh, expending energy, mm-hmm. not eating enough, mm-hmm. so not bringing enough fuel. Swimmer or something. Swimmer, yes. Or cyclist. So not weight-bearing, yes. Swimming or cycling. So hours on the bike or hours in a pool, and those mm. muscles are not getting the force that and they And we need. met, do you remember? That's right. On the retreat, I yes. won't name her, but yes. um, one of our
1: guests shared this story. This happened to her. Right. And she was like, a, I think,
0: fairly elite swimmer. Yeah, and she's only 20-something, right? maybe 30. Like, she's a young woman, right? So... It's not just what you do it's what it's what you don't do as well right so if you're swimming a lot not getting enough food in light body weight you're probably gonna you know you're not going to improve your bone density to the same degree so that's the specificity part of it then there's progressive overload this is the same for resistance training for building muscle quite simple you have to overload or create more strain through that bone or muscle over time Mm -hmm. you're going to adapt to the stimulus at some point so how do you overload more more weight like literally, like whether you're doing you know machines in a gym or whether you're doing free weights or whatever it is or body weight even, uh, you need to overload over time. Um, reversibility is the next principle, which is basically use it or lose it. If you stop doing uh, this kind of training, you will eventually sort of go backwards, right? You don't just lay down the bone and then it stays there; mm. it will go back. That also happens with a number of the
1: drugs. There are some drugs right. that increase bone mineral density, like Prolia,
0: yeah. and it's well
1: documented. If you commence that and then stop, you can lose all the mu- all of the bone in- that that you laid down, the yeah. increased bone mineral density,
0: and potentially even more. Mm. Yeah, and then the last sort of principle, I guess, is it's called the principle of initial values. What is your starting point, right? And this is the exact same for people who are starting in the gym and want to increase their their muscle size or strength if you're coming from a starting point of weakness it's much easier to adapt to lower stimuli right Mm -hmm. so if you're very weak even a small amount of weight will feel relative Mm -hmm. to you quite heavy Your, your body will adapt so depending on your initial values this is where the yoga comes into it if you are extremely weak and you have very very low initial values and yoga is a stimulus for you that is quite intense right it may provide a very small benefit right so my my idea of how yoga fits into this is I, I can't see any reason why being more flexible, more mobile, having Stable. better balance, stability more stability, and a healthy mindset. And there's so many things about yoga that I, I think are amazing. But the question is, if you have osteoporosis or you want to prevent it, how much yoga can you do or should you do? And if that's replacing resistance training, is that a good trade-off? Yeah,
1: I would have thought if you had
0: osteopenia or osteoporosis,
1: the way that I would think about answering that question is first, what's the amount of resistance training that I actually need in a week? Yep. How, many, how many hours is that going to take up? Mm. How many hours do I have available for training? Yep.
0: And then you can think about how you're allocating those That's hours. That's the perfect way to reverse engineer it. Exactly that. So high level, the research shows progressive resistance training, so overloading over time, minimum two days a week what 45 minutes 30-45 minutes so like the intensity and dose it varies but this particular paper which again we'll, we'll reference is, is basically saying you want to do eight exercises targeting muscles that are, that are either attached to or cross the hip and spine mm mm-hmm. right so think about your hinging squatting lunging mm-hmm. you know RDL's rowing all of that kind of stuff at least two sets per exercise in the 8 to 12 rep range so eight exercises two sets eight to, to 12. twelve reps
1: that's interesting
0: the eight to twelve rep range yeah, right because that is an indication of intensity mm-hmm. rep range you should know straight away whether the load is going to be intense or not based off a rep range mm-hmm. right so going re- repping out above that the
1: loads not enough correct you're not lifting enough weight right to stimulate the bone as much as you would if you were doing 8 to 12 reps with a heavier weight exactly which is different
0: to hypertrophy training yes and th- th- this is what I found really interesting about this the sweet spot seems to be 75 to 85 percent of your one RM mm-hmm that's a pretty good load if you think about 85 percent of your one rep max to be able to do repetitions yes yeah, so someone if you who say has, I can squat a hundred kilos we'll just yeah take
1: just an easy, easy number. number yeah 75 to 85 kilos on the bar
0: and rep it out so that would be someone who can handle those loads but let's say I mean I can give you a real world example of of somebody who I'm working with at the moment it's actually a member of my family who has been diagnosed with osteoporosis postmenopausal in the 60s her 1RM it's very common by the way it's very common I think
1: it's uh, I wrote down here uh, one in two women over the age of 60 years will experience at least one fracture
0: due to osteoporosis yeah that's wild that's wild i saw another stat also just crazy numbers i think it was out of europe europe and the u.s but the numbers are just you wouldn't believe how many people have it and it's silent right Mm -hmm. so unless you go get a Mm DEXA, or unfortunately fall over and break a bone you you don't really know that Mm -hmm. you have osteoporosis but yeah i mean anyway so just to go back to this intensity thing so 75 to 85 percent of your one RM with an RPE of about five to seven eight out of ten All Right. so imagine doing your set you've got to get to seven to eight out of ten let's go back over that principle because yeah. I actually had
1: a, quite a few people uh, send emails and questions I think we when we spoke about this last time so someone's listening and they think okay I get it eight exercises Ideally, they're crossing the hip, these exercises. Two sets of each exercise.
0: This is this in ha- one session? No, it doesn't have to be in one session. This is split across a week. It, the reason for that number is, which we'll come to in the next part, is the variety of exercises is really important because each exercise has a unique effect on the bone and muscle and mm-hmm. the angles and joints. So do you have like a chosen
1: eight exercises that you would say is kind of optimal?
0: Yeah, I mean, if, if we're focusing on femoral head so hip hip joint Mm -hmm. Um, femoral neck sorry lumbar spine and wrists so I would say a squatting pattern it can be single leg it can be double leg it can be a leg press it can be a hack squat machine Mm -hmm. anything where you're getting that hip and knee and ankle flexion Mm -hmm. and extension obviously Um, a lunging pattern of some sort it can be a front lunge a reverse lunge a side lunge you want variety multi-angular multi-directional you want that that is just providing more and more different stimuli for the body to adapt to and the bone will adapt to different stimuli in different ways so yeah so lunges squats leg press with shoes on or barefoot i i like the idea of doing barefoot and it's a great question i know what you're leading with <laughs> so the the you want to increase ground reaction forces right? and the problem with heavily cushioned shoes are the padding and the cushioning in your shoes steals a lot of that load and disperses it through the cushion so you're losing that force coming traveling back up through the ground into your bones you want your structures to take the load you don't want your footwear to take the load right so imagine imagine doing I don't know push-ups on a mattress I get told off quite a bit for squatting in Converse that's just because the toe box is narrow right but it's actually a flat hard surface Mm. which is good but the toe box is probably Mm. a bit too narrow and why
1: is that a problem if
0: the toe box is narrow you just want to be able to splay your toes for better stability Mm. through your base so you're only as strong as your weakest link so if you have a weak connection to the ground if your feet are your weakest link how can you expect to lift a heavy load with good technique and balance if you you know okay you, so if possible barefoot if possible barefoot um, and if you're gonna wear shoes try wear those like minimal barefoot mimicking shoes mm-hmm. so flat surface no cushion wide toe box so it's almost like a sock with a mm-hmm. protective um, surface underneath um, and then for the upper body you've got your push-ups you've got you know Tricep dips, shoulder raises, lat pull down, all the typical safe mm. machine-based stuff. With and this will come. We'll come to this in the next thing because it's multimodal. But boxing or high impact, something where you we're actually yeah. hitting a surface. The yeah, with power and load that um, that force great. goes through your bones and can stimulate. What bone about death, bone density? Something like skipping. Fantastic. Yeah, that's so that. Would, I would say that is the lower body version of boxing in a way Mm -hmm. so you've got that so would you count
1: those like when you're thinking of a resistance training protocol with eight exercises
0: we're also including things like boxing and skipping within that or are they sort of separate different that's a different mode so if we just stay for the progressive resistance training part to begin with Mm -hmm. we're thinking about those major movements push upper body we're pushing and pulling hopefully in a vertical and a horizontal direction Uh, lower body hinging squatting lunging thrusting anything that's um taking that hip joint through a Uh range of motion right then in that same category you can do lighter loads so like let's say 30 percent of your one rm right which we said before 75 to 85 Mm. is the target for resistance training Mm. if they're for power training
1: which which goes back to the chosen rep of 8 to 12 reps right making sure that, that you're getting to the right rpe
0: yes so if you're doing 30% of your 1RM or let's say 30 to 50% of your 1RM there's a lot of uh, abbreviations here. Yeah, so 30 <laughs> to 50% of the load that you could you know perform one repetition with, mm-hmm. right? So going back to that example, if you can squat 100 kilos and you put 30 kilos on a bar, mm-hmm. if you just do reps to close to failure, you're going to do 30 plus reps. It's not that that's not enough of a stimulus. Mm-hmm. But if they're powerful, so moving as fast as you can in the concentric and or even um, uh, like decelerating the load during the eccentric, that can be a good stimulus. So you've got to move it fast. Mm. Give people an example of concentric
1: and eccentric if like they're not familiar with those terms.
0: So let's use a squat because we're on that example. The eccentric is so that the bar's on your back. You start to lower down towards the ground. That is the eccentric. So the you're muscles resisting are resisting l- the load. Right. And it's the muscles the are lengthening. To- so they're still under tension. All of the same muscles are working that would in, in the other mm-hmm. phase, just through a different, like uh, a lengthening process. Mm-hmm. So you're going down to the ground. Your quads are lengthening, lengthening, lengthening. You get to the bottom of your rep. Then you come up. That's the concentric. So mm-hmm. now your quads are shortening. All your muscles are shortening to get you back up to the top. If you're using loads of 30% of your 1RM, you've got to move fast. So the pulling on the bone. When you actually power a rep from like a, a static position, can be quite forceful and, and lead to an adaptation. Mm. So th- it's it's good to know that there's mm. different Makes options me think for about different plyometric people. Plyometric, it's it's training. Yeah, plyos is great. There's another modality, not just for athletes, for mm. anyone. Recreational bodybuilders, if you want to, mm. you know, stimulate more muscle, you can use plyos for sure. Um, and I'll quickly race through the other one, right? Weight bearing high impact. So this is the part that. Can I just ask you one question? Yeah, Yeah. Before we move on, because sure. I'll forget
1: otherwise, I wanted to explain or get you to explain again, RPE. So, okay. like my mom has said to me before, you know, okay, I'm just not 100% sure. Like, I choose the weight and I do the exercise. She's not 100% sure if when she gets to eight to 12 reps, she's fatigued enough, if that is the right stimulus and weight. To get the benefit that she's looking for which is to increase her bone mineral density yeah
0: very common and very very fair question what you're looking for is firstly you need to understand what is the RPE scale and how it relates to the reps in reserve concept we've spoken about in another episode right so there's these two scales that we use for to, to um, identify the intensity of your set right RPE usually zero to ten mm-hmm. ten being Cannot do any more. That is the best effort I can give. In fact, you probably have reached failure, muscular failure. You can no longer move the load, Mm -hmm. right? You have to essentially give up. You, you're done. Yeah, that set is over. You terminate the set. You cannot do another repetition. A 10 RPE means you had zero reps in reserve. If you did a nine RPE, it means you have probably one rep in reserve. The scales are inverse. Okay. Mm. So when we're talking about here for progressive resistance training to be at an RPE of, say, 7 or 8... An RPE stands for? Rating of Perceived Exertion. Mm-hmm. A 7 to 8 out of 10 means you should technically have two or three reps left in the tank. Mm-hmm. And now how do you know if you have two or three uh, reps in the tank? Experienced lifting, you'll know. The more advanced mm-hmm. a trainer is, you sort of just intuitively get to get to know how many reps you have. But if you don't know and you're a new, you're a beginner and you have no idea, you either have to trial and error, so take mm. a set to failure and see what you could do, um, and then you'll know for that load how many reps you can you can do for that load. And I would never do a one RM test, by the way. Like they use this as a measure of mm. intensity. I recommend more of a three to six RM, so three to six rep max. So if you're going to test your strength, you don't have to do a squat or a deadlift for one rep, because if you fail that rep, the risk reward mm. is just not worth it but if you can do six reps of a certain weight that's your six rep max so then you can work off that number but anyway when you get to that seven or eight out of ten is your velocity slowing down number one is the bar moving a bit slower even though you're trying to move it as quick as you can has the repetition speed slowed down a bit so if you're squatting you're starting it's starting to become a bit slower coming back up to upright right and and maybe you do two or three reps where it slowly grinds a little Mm -hmm. bit you're in that sort of grind get a bit stuck a little bit stuck but not to the point of hitting failure Mm because it's not very safe um but generally for somebody like your mum or this lady that i've been working with you want to feel your muscles a bit of that burning Mm -hmm. sensation you want to feel like you're slowing down no matter how hard you're pushing and how quickly you're trying to move the, the velocity of your movement has slowed down that's probably the best indicator
1: but so general intensity. principle is you want to be in that 8 to 12 rep range yes. and feel like in, when you're in that rep range feel like at the end of that set you only have 2 or 3 reps left in reserve yes. when you finish and if you stick to those 2 things that will mean you selected an appropriate weight Yes. in order to create the stimulus to increase bone mineral density
0: perfect summary then weight-bearing high-impact exercise now this is the part where most people will go hey that just doesn't sound safe especially if you have osteoporosis wait you're, t- you're telling me to jump with mm. a weight vest on or skipping or boxing mm. you know people think that bones are just like brittle they're gonna turn to dust
1: right and you can do those things in a controlled or an uncontrolled kind of way right. in an environment
0: and by the way, all of this, all of this, should be done with an exercise physiologist. Yeah. I'm not recommending anyone with osteoporosis to do this at home uh, without supervision. Mm. Like it's, you've got to get this right. But essentially, four to seven times per week. So let's say, let's say you want to start off by doing your resistance training program two days a week. All right, that's the, that's what you can do in the beginning. You're not get, you're, you're getting a little bit sore. You probably can't do four plus days a week at this stage. You're doing two days a week of resistance then maybe you want to add in a couple of days of impact, weight-bearing stuff, right? So this is activities that create two to four times your body weight just by using you know your, the, the jumping and, and mm-hmm. mechanics of, of moving your body through space. So you can wear a weight vest, and this is another thing that you can even do uh, in the prevention phase is just start wearing a weight vest. Mm. If you're a very light body weight, imagine when you clean the house, chuck on a 20 kilo weight vest or a 10 kilo weight vest. You know, if your initial values are low, this may be enough to improve bone density because your starting point is so low. You're adding 20 kilos of, of, of a vest. Put it on underneath the shirt and, and just people might think you're part of secret services. <laughs> True, or something else, <laughs> some sort of terrorism thing. I actually, I've got a vest that does not look good. If you wear this in public, it doesn't look good. Um, anyway, so so this one is, is um, changing direction, jumping, skipping, jumping off a small step onto the ground boxing um, side shuffles like all of this kind of stuff that's just body weight but creates that two to four times your body weight load which can improve mm-hmm. your bone density so obviously you know in this study that they list things like jumping bounding skipping hopping bench stepping drop jumps um, weight-bearing sports so tennis dancing gymnastics mm-hmm. football so high impact moving pretty quick changing direction mm. so what's the is there a volume prescription yes did you say there is 50 to 100 jumps per session divided into three to five sets of about 10 to 20 so three to five sets 10 to 20 jumps so that you total about 50 to 100 jumps okay All Right. so it's probably easiest to kind of visualize if you think about something like skipping right exactly but you also want to not just skip like with a calf dominant skip but also like a quite a good knee bend so jumping like, forget about skipping rope. They're, they're both great, but they're different. Um, the other one might, you might... So you want a bit of impact. You want the impact. Rather absolutely. than trying to land softly. Correct. You want if you wanted that sort of like thudding ground reaction force. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last modality is anything that challenges your balance, stability, and mobility. So this is where yoga comes in. Exactly. Yoga, Pilates, um, Tai Chi, they even mentioned in this study. But... The idea is to do it all, keep the variety up. You want a lot of diverse movement patterns and you're probably going to set yourself up for for better success. Mm -hmm. So multi-modal program. Yeah.
1: Um, I know you have have a new program out soon. It's not specifically for that uh, demographic.
0: Do you want to share some details? Sure. Uh, It's not... I don't know... If It'll be out by the time this episode's out, but it's so close. Like it's okay. Days out. So I'll just give a teaser. And perhaps out. we okay. can
1: summarize some of what we just went through
0: into just a half-pager yep. for
1: for anyone listening that has osteopenia, yeah. osteoporosis. Yeah. There's
0: actually, I'll, I'll I'll give you the link to this page mm-hmm. where it's all laid out. You'll okay. be able to see it all. Um, see, so yeah, I've been working on a program. I thought, you know what? It's been a passion of mine forever. Everyone knows that I love love testing my body in the gym testing my mind in the gym you know it's an important part of my mental health and physical health and diabetes management and i've learned so much over the years not just since uh, graduating from university but like living with diabetes and testing all these principles on myself and clients and and i've I realized i freaking love learning about it and that i've you know read enough of the literature to be able to put it into sort of a book form so I wrote, a, uh, what started as, I'm just gonna jot down like three or four paragraphs to summarize what you need to know before you start a program. And then next minute I've written 30,000 words. And then I had to refine it down and I got it down to like 16,000 words, um, which it, it's, it's essentially a justification for what the program is, who it's for, mm-hmm. why I've created the program the way I created it, what does the research say about volume, mm-hmm. intensity, frequency, all of these variables. So who's it for? this is for the everyday the the everyday gym goer who really loves the gym who -hmm. who has access to a well-equipped gym Mm -hmm. who likes to challenge their body in ways that you know may require athleticism Mm -hmm. or performance or muscle size muscle strength and overall fitness so do you think the average person that goes to a gym is leaving a lot of results on the table i do we've spoken about this many many times um i i think a lot of people go in with no purpose or intention no structure no plan and just go through the motions and think it's it's good enough Mm. and it probably is good enough if you're happy with being moderate Mm. right but i think if you really want to step it up and go to another level it helps to know how hard you actually need to push yourself how many sets should you be doing per week mm. what is considered junk volume the point of where you're doing too much volume that it's just it's not mm. benefiting you or when you're going deload. backwards when yeah when you when you need to take a deload um which the research is very unclear about by the way that's one part that i i cannot find any mm. direct guidelines for but it's one of those things where you learn it on the ground you know like the bodybuilders or people in the fitness community or trainers or strength coaches they have seen the benefit of deloads. There's a bit of research around it, mm-hmm. but I think it's one of those things where the research will catch up. Mm-hmm. So the, I would, What I would, would the
1: current sort of best practice protocol be for deloading?
0: So uh, it's very simple. If you feel like you're not recovering, mm-hmm. your performance is going backwards. Which so, means you
1: have to really track things
0: yeah, to know that. Yeah, okay. I mean, you could do the the sort of subjective, I'm always sore or my joints are hurting or... I don't feel as strong or I'm not getting good pumps in the gym anymore or stuff like that. I don't get very sore these days. Does that mean I'm not not training training hard enough? enough? (laughs) (laughs) No, it doesn't mean that at all. It's actually (laughs) Soreness is not a good indicator of uh, results, to be honest. You do not need to feel tremendous DOMS by any means. In fact, it can get in the way. So maybe you're doing something right. Every now and then, a little bit of soreness is fine. Ever since I changed my
1: program from more of a bro type of... Uh, bodybuilding split, yeah, to more of a leg push pull sort of version A, and then a leg push pull version B, and mm. split
0: the volume across like that. Right, nowhere near a sore Yeah, so you, your higher frequency mm-hmm. volume spread out across what like six days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, you won't get you you shouldn't get sore from mm-hmm. that unless you're taking all your sets to failure. Then you'll mm-hmm. probably be pretty sore, mm-hmm. which again, no point in doing that either. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think people... I think when you know these principles, which so you read the book and you go, okay, this makes sense. I understand how hard I need to train, how many sets I should be doing. And you, you can show up to the gym with purpose and direction and go, I know exactly what the objective is today. I'm training these muscles. This is how many sets. This is what it should feel like. And then I'm out of the gym. Is this just for
1: the person that wants to lift weights and get strong or is there also a cardiovascular
0: component? There's cardio in there as well. So... I also I, I will just say that if you're intermediate or advanced I think you'll thrive this program will be really good because it's attention to detail it's very granular very specific but if you're a beginner I would still say that you're gonna get amazing results as long as you have access to a gym and you're willing to learn and, and on that note I recorded a, a exercise uh, video tutorial of every single exercise in the program oh no, I've seen them. with great voice narration explaining the movements, how to do it, da-da-da. So if you're a beginner and you don't know what the exercises are, you just click. Mm -hmm. It's like hyperlinked in the program. PDF, hit the exercise, the name of the exercise. It'll take you to my YouTube channel. I've got like 60-plus videos there of just learn how to perform the movement. So Mm -hmm. if you're a beginner, this can work really well as Mm -hmm. well. It's not just for people who are gym bro obsessed like Mm -hmm. you and I. Um, I think like I eventually I want to put my mum and dad on this, Mm -hmm. you know, and there's three days a week cardio program as well where I've incorporated all like a variety of different intensities and mm-hmm. durations. So some zone training. Uh, one of the workouts is like a, a lower sort of zone mm-hmm. to moderate intensity style cardio training uh, with a little hit finisher, because remember we came across that really cool study mm-hmm. that showed that when you just put that little hit mm-hmm. finisher I've, on I've been end. doing that. You've been doing that? Yeah. Pretty good, eh? It's great. It's Do a you, great, it's a great, uh, utilization of time. Yeah. Yeah. Do you get off the bike, Rest then smash it, mm-hmm. or do you no? Go I get straight, I go straight from the bike, so as in, like, you've done say 50 I'll, minutes zone I'll two. I'll do
1: 45 50 minutes cycling, this is what I have been doing, and then go straight from that to the roller
0: to do the oh, hit. okay. So, okay, yeah. that's interesting. I like I li- doing the hit on the roller, yeah, that'll jack the heart rate mm. much quicker, I think. Um, so, so, you could also stay on the bike, ramp up the resistance, mm-hmm. and you don't even have to leave the bike. Mm-hmm. So, you finish your 50 minutes, bang, straight into that four minute. Mm-hmm. Go hard into all. but I, I do like the I mean, you know me, I'm I'm obsessed mm. with the rowing machine. You took me through the four minute hit at bamboo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we Remember? did the and we did the uh, we did lactate the lactate test. testing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um Okay, um, cool. Well yeah, I know man. that you've put a lot of I mean, how long have you been riding this thing for? too long. Right. I hope someone buys it. <laughs> so so people will buy it. Uh I'm sure of that. So we'll we'll put some information about yeah, that in the okay. show notes and if it's not out when this is out we'll Circle back. All right. Next time you're on. Mm. Um, sounds good. So zone two. I want to come to that. I want. I want to put a pin in that. Yep. So I want to talk yep. about the experience, the immersive experience mm. that we have coming up. Uh, but just before that, to kind of close the loop on, we were talking about menopause. Mm-hmm. I've had a number of people ask me about diet, nutrition, sort of tips. The episodes. That i did with uh, dr davis both of them they're not they weren't super detailed when it came to nutrition she's an endocrinologist you know we spoke about sort of a healthy dietary pattern and the importance of that but the main thing that i want to emphasize is that typically when a woman reaches menopause and, and goes into the postmenopausal period of her life ldl cholesterol will go up with apob follows that goes up as well Um, and her risk of cardiovascular disease goes up so when i think about nutrition also visceral fat tends to go up body composition changes when i think about nutrition um, of course the amount of energy you're consuming is going to be really really important Mm. Um, but the types of fat for example become increasingly important so trying to steer away from the very saturated fat-rich foods, which are going to increase LDL cholesterol or ApoB, mm-hmm. trying to lean more into the unsaturated fats, olive oil, fatty fish, if people eat seafood or bivalves, nuts, seeds, avocado, those sorts of foods, are going to help someone optimize their blood lipids. Um, and you know, doing your best with, with nutrition and pharmacotherapy if it's required to get to an optimal and optimal I think if people want to hear more about that they need to listen to the three part mm.
0: series yeah with Dr. Dayspring I'm, I'm a third of the way through yeah it's it's he's an encyclopedia though, he's girl. an encyclopedia wow. Wow.
1: if I was to kind of just summarize it yeah like which the, is necessary the, the shortest of the short cliff notes yeah. for people I do want people to, to try and get through it particularly on YouTube if you have the time, and I think if you can make the time, it's well worth it mm. because it is the leading cause of death. Mm. And if you can get on top of this, it's going to reduce your risk of other diseases as well. Mm. But um, the, the key take-home points are there are a bunch of different risk factors underpinning atherosclerosis, you know, high blood pressure, smoking, diabetes, elevated cholesterol. And in this series, um, Dr. Dayspring really focused on the importance of getting ApoB, which is a superior marker, usually, to LDL cholesterol. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, Getting that to goal as early in life as possible. Because really, for atherosclerosis to occur, that has to be elevated above a physiologic norm level. And you see people that have won the genetic lottery. And there are people out there who have a genetic mutation like a uh, PCSK9 um, loss of function. And with that type of gene mutation, they end up with more LDL receptors on their liver than other people. And as a result, they can pull more of those LDL and ApoB-containing lipoproteins out of circulation. They can clear them better which keeps them down in the in circulation, which means less of them are crashing into the artery wall and being in a position where they can become retained and build up as fatty plaque. Um, so we went through what are the sort of optimal levels. And when you look at infants and you look at hunter-gatherers, LDL cholesterol is probably 20 to 40 milligrams per deciliter appears to be the physiologic norm where atherosclerosis really rarely ever occurs, right? So we know how to prevent this disease, the number one cause mm. of death, which is a little different to say various types of cancer and dementia. We know the risk factors, but we have far less information available to to really um, say decisively we know exactly how to prevent this. Mm. Where we should be able to prevent most cases of atherosclerosis, which is not all cardiovascular disease, but it, may, it accounts for the, the overwhelming majority of heart attacks, of strokes, of peripheral artery disease, etc. Um,
0: and that's just looking at one biomarker. That's looking at one
1: biomarker, but I will definitely, I, I think we should underline that sometimes people think, well, if, you, if you're focusing on APOB, you're minimizing the importance of other things. Mm-hmm that's that's not the case because other risk factors can exacerbate or increase amplify the risk Mm -hmm. so if your ApoB is super high and you have lots of these particles crashing into the artery wall well if that artery wall health function is compromised further by inflammation from smoking Mm -hmm. um, from having type 2 diabetes and elevated blood sugar these types of things, then you're going to be higher risk than someone who just had elevated APOB and didn't have diabetes and didn't smoke. So these things can stack yep. upon each other and create a higher risk again.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So by no means, you know, through that lipid series or anything that I discuss, um, am I suggesting that it's the only thing that matters? It's not the only thing that no. matters. No. Um, you need to focus on a, a broad variety of of Risk factors that deserve our attention but if someone's low risk so they're someone that doesn't have a history of cardiovascular disease they're not a smoker Um, they don't have diabetes ApoB target is less than 80 milligrams per deciliter Mm -hmm. which if you measure in Oz you're probably going to get a grams per liter not a milligrams per deciliter so 80 milligrams per deciliter less than that that's the US uh, unit in Australia, it'll be grams per litre. It works out to be less than 0.8 yep. grams per litre, mm-hmm. is where you're looking to be. Now, if you're high risk, well, the target is lower. And so, who is high risk? Well, it's something that your cardiologist can calculate for you. There are a bunch of different inputs, but broadly speaking, history of cardiovascular disease, someone who has a history of smoking, has type 2 diabetes. Or has markedly elevated LP little a, mm-hmm. which was another thing that Dr. Dayspring and I discussed. Um, in that case, ApoB target becomes 50, under 50 milligrams per deciliter. Mm-hmm. Some of the guidelines are off by five or so here or there, but broadly under 50 milligrams per deciliter. And in Australia, that would be 0.5 grams per liter. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the kind of first take-home point is get your A per B to target. And some people, like I know you have, can achieve that through nutrition. And, and the way our diet affects that number is just before I explained to you that some people have genetically lower levels. Mm-hmm. And one of the primary mechanisms of having genetically lower level levels is more of these LDL receptors mm-hmm. on the liver.
0: Right.
1: Our diet Are they only
0: on the liver? No. No, LDLs. they're not only on the liver. Okay.
1: And I know you have a ton of questions. So many questions. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but to diet affects the um, the number of LDL receptors okay. on the liver. And essentially, if you simplified that, the foods that you eat affect your liver's capability or ability Mm -hmm. to suck in these ApoB containing lipoproteins of which usually 90% are LDL lipoproteins out of circulation into the liver.
0: Right.
1: Right. And these are the particles that are potentially atherogenic. They can lead to atherogenesis, the deposition of plaque in the artery wall. So what are the components of the diet that can increase our LDL receptors? Primarily, it's unsaturated fats, particularly polyunsaturated fats. Mm-hmm. When we consume polyunsaturated fats from olive oil, from fatty fish, from um, avocado, chia seeds, etc., it upregulates LDL receptors. Okay. So it
0: upregulates the ability for those receptors to function as a sink to pull in more of them. More so of them are expressed.
1: Yep. You get an increased expression of LDL receptors. Right. They can pull in. More of the ApoB containing lipoproteins okay. concentration comes down. So that, Saturated that was, fats do the opposite. Okay, they regulate
0: LDL receptor expression. Okay, yeah, so that was one of the questions I, I was trying to understand: is does our diet influence the actual number of receptors that we mm-hmm. can that we have on mm-hmm. the on the cells, or does it just allow them to work? It does better increase the the number, the number. Oh, of wow. receptors. Okay,
1: um, as as does like a, a drug, like a PCSK9 inhibitor, yeah. right? What does a PCSK9 inhibitor do? Well, when an APOB-containing prote- lipoprotein binds to an LDL receptor and becomes internalized into the liver, the whole thing comes in. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Dayspring explained that as like a, um, a lysosome. Mm-hmm. That whole receptor lipoprotein comes into the liver. PCSK9 is a protein in the liver and it basically... in once that's been internalized, it breaks that receptor down. So what does a PCSK9 inhibitor drug do? It stops that. So you get the LDL binding to the LDL receptor, comes inside the liver cells. And instead of this PCSK9 protein breaking that receptor down, you block that and it gets recycled. And it goes back up to the surface. Mm -hmm. Can draw in more ApoB containing lipoproteins. So that's why when you give someone a PCSK9 inhibitor, their apob or ldl cholesterol levels go
0: down gotcha Makes um,
1: sense. so that's kind of generally the story about apob that maybe in the future we can go back through exactly what apob is and go through the shipping cargo ship analogy and whatnot a very but good analogy it's probably that's a that's an hour or so true <laughs> in itself that's a seminar um, yeah. so Also, I should say, if you go to theproof.com forward slash lipid series, there'll be like a three page PDF summary with tables for this stuff, Mm. but APOB and then the second sort of most important test, and this is a once in a lifetime is LP little a. So I just mentioned before someone who's high risk could have elevated LP little a uh, or who is considered to be high risk um lp little a is kind of a subtype of ldl with an extra protein on it that makes it particularly thrombotic atherogenic and it's determined almost solely by genes so you go and do it once i'm not sure if you've done it I did it i don't know what my number was yeah which means it was probably very low or would have been flagged but zero to 30 milligrams per deciliter is considered low risk right 30 to 50 milligrams per deciliter is considered sort of moderate risk and north of 50 milligrams per deciliter is high risk
0: okay.
1: now right now if you get that given I just said it's completely determined by genetics almost yeah. what can you do what's the point yeah what's the point yeah um, I did ask Tom that yeah what it would do is it would go back to before uh, when we were categorizing who's low risk and high risk mm-hmm. it it might make you a little bit more aggressive on getting apo B to okay. a lower target, right. or not smoking, right. <laughs> um, looking at other aspects of your lifestyle that affect your risk, knowing that that one's stacked against you, gotcha. nothing you can do about it for now, mm-hmm. and I say for now because there are a bunch of trials. There's one Horizon that's on at the moment. Um, that that drug has already been shown to lower LP little A, but now what they have to do in a, um, a human randomized controlled placebo um, trial is look at does it actually reduce events okay so that's a long-term trial could take you know another three four five years for yep. the data to become available on that
0: is, is there a correlation between LP little a and Apo B? so for example if you're genetically high in LP little a is it possible that you could have a really low this ApoB? is such a great
1: question a- amazing we'll question. The other way around and so we didn't cover this in the lipid series but I had asked Tom this before on Twitter and the, the interesting thing is you can have a normal APOB and an elevated LP little a. Okay. And the reason for that is that even though LP little a is considered very atherogenic and, you know, thrombotic and increases risk, the number of LP little a particles compared to LDL particles is inconsequential. It's tiny. Mm-hmm. It's a tiny overall number of these particles. Okay. So when you measure APOB, because so much of the APOB Unit measurement you get is from LDL particles. Right. It doesn't really make much of a difference if your LP little A is high or low. Gotcha. So ApoB is still. So you focus have on that. to measure both. If right. you just measure ApoB, it's fine. You can't assume your
0: LP little A is fine. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I had a low ApoB, right? Mm-hmm. If my LP little A is genetically high, what you're saying is I actually won't be able to influence my ApoB that much anymore, right? Mm. It's pretty. It's mm. as low as I can probably get it. Without using mm-hmm. pharmacological intervention, right? But if somebody has a high apoB and a high LP mm-hmm. little A, then it's like a double red flag. Hey, exactly time to, to act. And uh,
1: in that case, you would act on the apoB because that's what we know we can do, right? And you right. can do that through lifestyle or pharmacotherapy. Okay. Um, unfortunately, at the moment, until that the the current trials are finished and the results are published there's nothing you can directly do to LP little a. There is something you can indirectly do to LP little a, Mm -hmm. which people are kind of unsure what it actually means in terms of, I guess, clinical meaning. How, how meaningful is it? PCSK9 inhibitors are the one drug which lower LP little a. However, it it doesn't lower it a lot and it's still not understood whether that reduction is beneficial in terms of events. So that's just a side note. Mm -hmm. Um, go to lipidseries forward slash sorry theproof dot com forward slash lipid series mm-hmm. and you can get the pdf summary
0: that episode I listened to the first one. I got to get through it still. um it takes a lot of concentrating. Mm-hmm. I mean he is, like I said, the the amount of terms and me- mechanisms and scientific processes that's just living in his brain is is incredible. It makes you realize how important it is to lean on experts mm-hmm. sometimes, and that. There's this social media trend of, you know, debunking experts and flipping everything we know about science on its head and don't do it that way, do it this way. Mm. But then you speak to someone like that and you go, wow, I know nothing. Exactly. Like absolutely nothing. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. he's He is incredible. And he has a great knack. Not only does he understand all the physiology, he understands how to teach it. Yeah. And to take something... It's still complex. Listening to this is not what i would say is an easy listen mm. you know it's essentially it is a master class what is. you're getting in those three episodes mm. is deeper than than what is covered in most medical courses totally. um, or at least traditionally i think that's starting to change and, and people like him are actually starting to educate university students yeah. um but he has a great ability to use analogies. You know, he talked about going down the, the stomach and interviewing <laughs> cholesterol right. and saying, where do you come from? Yes, um, yeah. And, and his, a other his, funny ones too. his Jersey accent yeah. makes it enjoyable. Yeah. So um, he might pop back on. We have a number of, of questions that have come in from the community since then. So he might do a Q&A, but we covered everything from... Now, is there any danger of having low cholesterol does it affect hormone production does it affect testosterone production mm. in, in the gonads does it affect cortisol production or adrenal function does it affect um, does lowering your cholesterol levels in circulation affect the health or um, fluidity function of cell membranes where where cholesterol mm. is, is integral to mm. uh, does it affect the cholesterol Uh, in the brain synthesis of cholesterol in the the brain and cholesterol levels in the brain or cognition, all of those, which are really valid questions. Yeah. But, um, and, and often there could be a little grain of truth to some of those questions, but they can become misinterpreted on social media. Isn't isn't
0: it wild? The amount of distrust that's like developed Mm. in relation to, you know, an expert, a lipidologist compared to the amount of trust that we put into a fucking, I don't know, physiotherapist or a chiropractor mm. who's pretending to be a cardiologist like mm. it's crazy how the pendulum has swung so far and i reckon covid had something to do with this as well like mm. like medical authorities and pharmaceutical companies it's just it's this big conspiracy that everyone you know who's a medical professional mm. does not have your best interests at heart and that we should listen to the, the truth seekers like mm. you know your carnivore guy who's telling you eat all the saturated fat that you can possibly eat and don't worry about ltl and it's just like how, how did we get there how did this happen yeah. you know it's kind of disappointing but
1: and it's you know there are I guess examples where um, pharmaceutical the pharmaceutical industry or the food industry um, perhaps could have done better
0: sure and sure. so
1: you know I can you can kind of understand how we got here right like a small seed of doubt has
0: just grown out of control right. yeah.
1: and they should be held accountable to to standards those industries right. so that the science is objective as as possible yeah um, but I certainly would disagree that we should just write off all science 100%. and and forget the importance of domain specific experts yeah like Tom
0: yeah you know yeah
1: exactly cool zone 2 we mentioned zone that two. that's something that we are integrating into the very first The Proof Immersive Experience.
0: Sounds juicy. <laughs> Sign me
1: up. Uh, com forward slash experience. We have all this information on there, but Drew and I will be facilitating, hosting, or yeah. how should we say it? Facilitating? Yeah,
0: facilitating and experiencing with you uh, the the entire thing. I mean, mm-hmm. I think part of what what we're so attracted to about this experience that we're developing is that we talk to people online and you have a podcast and we you know we're trying to build a community but the online community only goes so far and to be able to actually meet in person spend you know a week or so together on a for lack of a better term retreat we prefer to call it experience it's like so rewarding not only to facilitate it as you mm. said but to be a part of it like we're going to take we take part in it we're mm. there we're on the ground we're not just hosting it for everyone else like this we do this together mm. you know? and
1: there's going to be a, a bunch of education both more sort of formal education with talks and workshops and then we'll take the knowledge from those and use that in a practical Um, workshop manner so you'll get um, knowledge about nutrition and then we'll go and do some cooking you'll get um, a sort of workshop or lecture on the benefits of zone 2 training and then we'll go and do lactate testing yeah or vo2 max Mm -hmm. testing Mm -hmm. and we'll give you our kind of framework um, formula so to speak that we've put together to help you optimize your overall health and wellness for maximum health span and longevity. Mm-hmm. So, we've got a bunch of what we call our sort of key predictors of health, and we will work with you to measure those. So, before you actually come on this experience, it will actually start with um, giving you some information so you can go and get. A blood test that blood test will then be reviewed by our doctor internally before this is all before the retreat mm. um, you'll get an opportunity as well to meet the others that are coming on the experience beforehand so we'll connect online um, so there's some familiar sort of faces mm. which I think will make it nice yeah um, just so it doesn't feel as kind of strange or new on, on day one and we can get into things um, what else? So the food is incredible. We've got an amazing um, plant-based menu that's put together. Um, we're not super strict about exactly <laughs> what people eat. Our menu is plant-based, and we would kind of encourage people to eat that way over the week. But there is a um, a sort of,
0: I guess, standard resort yeah. um, menu, right. which um, people can use yeah. as well. Yeah, we don't want the plant-based label to be the deterrent for people because there's so much to gain from the experience outside of Mm -hmm. just the eating like it really is a a huge focus on mindset obviously physical body Mm -hmm. during you know the exercise uh, workouts that we do but also the seminars as you said I feel like this this experience is our best go at summarizing essentially the information that you share on your pods the you know the, the, uh, the guests you've had on into a real-life lived experience together as a community in one mm. place. And
1: you know. give people something tangible to walk away with yeah. so they have clear focus. Right. So I imagine who's the avatar, like who's coming to this? Mm. You know, I, I, I think it could be in quite a number of different people, mm. but one person that I'm thinking of is that person that's maybe mid-40s, mm-hmm. um, overworked, bit stressed yep. has kids that maybe now are a little bit more grown up they might be at school and stuff now but over the last 10 or 15 years has been working hard at, at work providing for the family has maybe their health has taken a bit of a backseat yeah. and now they realize well you know what's the point of working hard my whole life if I get to 60 mm. and I have a stroke mm. or I get to 60 and I've got type 2 diabetes yep. and metabolic syndrome mm-hmm and I can't go out and do the activities in the world with my kids and my family and enjoy that part of life. Um, And so I see that type of person coming and benefiting a lot from the retreat and maybe they're a little bit time poor and what they want is I want the information, high quality evidence-based information so I can sharpen up my diet to feel better. Um, I can introduce some mindfulness stuff into my lifestyle in a way that is not... um, you know, it's still going to allow me to participate in my standard sort of lifestyle with my corporate job and, yeah. and whatnot. It's not sort of woo-woo, <laughs> sp- spiritual, yeah, too far down that path. and then, yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, what's the exercise where I can get maximum bang for my buck? Yeah. What do I need to understand about the different types of exercise? Yeah. You know, why is resistance training going to be important for me? How's that going to help me in my 60s, 70s and 80s? Um, hit. What's the difference between HIT and Zone 2? How to track these things? And mm-hmm. then, um, you know, how walking away from the experience, not only having these measurements, these baseline measurements, mm-hmm. but having a protocol for the nutrition right. and the exercise, those two specifically. And
0: customised to the individual, not just a cookie cutter everyone right. gets.
1: So customised to them based on the information we collect from them. Yeah. Um, which is not just the objective test but also information about their lifestyle Mm. um, where they live what they like to do how they like to move their body their culture um, how they normally eat how their family eats all that sort of stuff and then go away for 6 months 12 months put it into action know how to track it and then come back and do the experience again Mm. And we just keep kind of
0: shifting um, or optimizing tweaking their health along the way yeah great summary I mean I think first person that comes to mind is my mum who mum she's probably she's definitely listening to this she listens to every episode probably four times Gladys Gladys (laughs) that's a good personal joke we'll save that one for the (laughs) retreat if you come on the retreat you'll hear that joke in person no Jill we love you Jill so my mum I'm very proud of her she's probably crying right now mum I know you're crying she just joined a gym for the first time in her life and she's 60 how good odd years old Yes. That was big for her, right? Huge, massive, massive, massive step. She was um, uncomfortable. She, she was beyond uncomfortable, like almost like a PTSD kind of response to the gym environment. I'm just going to tell this. On, I haven't even asked her permission, but I'm just going for it. Mum, I hope you're okay with this. Long story short, she c- has carried with her some fear and anxiety and barriers from her childhood being you know left off a team or or you know the teacher spoke to her in a way at sports or 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 pe practice or whatever that made her feel worthless and useless and then she snowballed that fear into her 20s 30s 40s 50s until now where i mean i've been trying literally my whole life to show my mom the 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 way show her the show her the light and sort of um help her with an exercise program and all this kind of stuff. I mean, she's a doctor. She's very smart. So mm. she's got a degree of cognitive dissonance where she can, she can, uh, convey this message to her patients. She mm. knows all this stuff, but there's a gap between knowledge and action. It's common. It's so common. The knowledge action gap. That's, that's how do you bridge that gap? Mm. Right. And unfortunately it took a really sad moment in our lives for her to sort of have this, have this wake up call where her mom or my grand passed away, um, you know, nineties had a great life, but, Her quality of life towards the end was so it deteriorated so much that she was suffering and struggling and it was really really sad to see and I think my mom perhaps saw one way that life Mm. can go if you neglect your health in your younger years and she's decided no even though I'm 60 it's not too late I'm just gonna fucking do it I'm gonna sign up to a gym get uncomfortable until I'm comfortable how's she doing mate it's fantastic so I, we did a few sessions i I did some um with her at my place i went to her place and then she she didn't want to be a burden on me so she signed up to a gym first day walking in she nearly walked out like four times she, just to get through the door was hard
1: mm.
0: she had this idea that everyone was looking at her mm. i'm like mom no one gives a fuck what you're doing in the gym but it's Everyone's so focusing sad on to think that she's carried that yeah for decades 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 just c- cannot shake it mm. But see, I see, I see our immersive experience as a fast track for people like my mum mm. who want to dive in and get everything in, in in one week. If you come in like a sponge, you're going to soak up so much information—not just learnt mm. in seminars and in the talks we give, but put into practice immediately. So once you've walked the walk, you've felt it. You're around people; no one's judging you. There's n- zero judgment. Everyone just is trying to get better. At their own pace in their own way fast track it it's one week you're going to learn so much and then you take that with you for the rest of your life and you just slowly slowly add it layer and layer and layer until hopefully a couple decades down the line you've actually added some years to your life in particular quality healthy vibrant years to your life so that that's the sort of avatar that i have in mind as well you know that kind of person as well as mate, like like you said there's a a broad scope of people who who are going to benefit, you may be in your early 20s and very experienced with gym and exercise and you just want to get a little bit more knowledge or you may have never ever worked out in a group before or you've never had a, even a plant-based meal in your life. It does not matter. Yeah, it if matter. you're an adult,
1: it's never too early to start Right, and it's never too late to start. Yeah, exactly. Right. That's it's, the important thing. And we can tailor the... Exercise side of things because I think a lot of the time people that maybe have a bit of fear or resistance coming to something like this, Mm. it could be about the exercise component. Am I going to be able to keep up with everyone? Right. So I think you know that's important. Like we'll have exercise integrated throughout the week. A lot of that will be on um, the sort of workshops Mm. and integrating the theory
0: into that, but also it will be tailored to the individual and scaled to where you are currently what are your goals where do you want to get to and we can scale workouts in a way that we're not all doing the exact same workout at the same time and no one's no one's looking at you no one cares there will be some really fun group challenges that i'm really excited for these are like the growth challenges right. there might be some ice there might there might be some cold <laughs> which reminds me of the episode you did with uh yes that fantastic researcher who confirmed all of my biases? So yeah. It was one of my favorite episodes. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you you've been
1: what morning swimming, oh for like fifteen winter swimming, years, spring swimming, yeah, summer sp- swimming. I haven't missed a day in like fifteen <laughs> years,
0: but my water is nowhere near Are cold. Are you Mister Bondi? He, some some do call me Mr. Bondi. <laughs> Actually Dimitri's gonna he's got that title. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's got a I pair of speedos. I'm pretty sure his speedos say Mr. Bondi yeah, on him. He's a he's a big boy he's too. Big, he's a big lad.
1: Um okay, cool. Well, theproof.com forward slash experience. It's end of September, start of October. It's in Bali on the east coast at Commune. A place that Drew and I have been before. The staff are amazing. It's a a really amazing um location so if you want to join us we'd we'd love to meet you mm-hmm. love to see you there please come
0: okay how are we tracking i've got to pick up the pups you do yeah okay gnocchi and giuseppe life revolves around our dogs mate right they're not our help they're not our whole world but they make our world whole ah, so, say, so cheesy <laughs> um <laughs> do you want to finish with some good news of the week or like a interesting i don't know current event or something have you got any any uh collingwood's three no <laughs> <laughs> about one percent of your audience know what you're talking about right now yes. go on uh, well be- actually
1: if they've been tuning in they'll know that last year we we rode a, a giant wave of collingwood wins victories that's my football team here in australia uh, 12 or 13 in a row something like that. something like that and um, all of them within a goal or very close. This sitting second on the ladder, undefeated. It's early days, dude. To calm down. To calm <laughs> so, down. <laughs> um, that's my good news. I'm feeling good, that is good as news. a result of that.
0: That's good news. Congratulations on the Pies. Um, look, I'm, I'm a PIE supporter this year. I've good. decided.
1: Well, Geelong haven't won a
0: game. I know. and It makes me wonder, if the Pies were in the final last year, what would have happened? Because Sydney. We were... nearly
1: beat, not to go too deep in the weeds here about football, <laughs> but... We did. We did nearly beat you along in the first final but uh and I think if we had a good, we would have
0: And you nearly beat Sydney we would have won the flag in the qualifier for the final. We went final. to that game. Oh that was so good. That was like watching a caged animal let free. Simon on the Anyway, we've line. just
1: lost about seventy five percent of the audience, <laughs> so
0: <laughs> There will be no footy at the retreat, just saying. Oh, that's good. Um Do I have good news? I do have a this very, very small good news story which happened to me. Um it's actually kind of like a, this is a get it off your chest and good news all in one mm-hmm. basically long story short I ran out of petrol because I'm mm. arrogant and I, I pushed a little too hard I I've, I usually push my petrol tank right to the limit and I've been doing this my whole life and I've never got stuck but the day came that I got stuck I got a bit too cocky and I got stuck in Bondi my car stopped working right as I got stuck the heavens opened up and the rain started coming down so it's pouring with rain I'm stuck Mm -hmm. in this like sort of T junction intersection right mate I'm standing outside my car at the sort of like navigating cars around I'm like Mm -hmm. people are coming up behind me luckily there was a free lane right next to me so I'm like ushering the cars I've got like a towel over my head I've just gone for a swim so I'm like no shirt in my body, towel over my head and I'm moving cars around my car mate I kid you not 200-300 cars go past no one For a second, stopped and said, "Can I help? Is everything okay? Do you need Mm. any help?" Nothing. They would just come up behind me, and I'd be like, "Sorry, guys, I'm stuck." And I like wave my hand, and then they'd like roll their eyes and be like, "Fuck, this guy's in my way," kind of thing. And then they'd go around and move on. Right? This just kept happening. And in my head, I'm like, "How has nobody asked if I need help?" Mm. This is wild. Like the first thing I do when I see someone stuck, I always put my window down. I'm like, "Hey, you're good. You need help?" We made a phone call. Anyway, finally, this guy stops, and he's got these he's got a kid in the back seat and he's like what happened and i'm like man i've just run out of petrol don't worry my lovely girlfriend carly is actually on a line bike right now going to get some petrol she'll be back i wanted to go get it but she didn't want to have the job of being in the road mm. moving cars she's like i'd rather get on a bike and go get it so anyway she goes and gets petrol these guys are like all right mate i'm just got to go drop my kids to school anyway to my surprise five minutes later or ten minutes later he comes back opens his front door and he's got a tank of petrol oh, for me. He's gone and got it for he got you. got the petrol for me. Amazing. Filled up, moved my car. Great bloke. And then Carly... Carly arrives like two minutes after he's just given me the petrol. It's pouring with rain. She's saturated. She's got this tank of petrol like bouncing around in her bike. And I'm like, good news and bad news.
1: <laughs> Poor Carly. I
0: know, I know. She, oh, she, she was going to be the hero. But anyway, this guy was a hero. She was still the hero. She was still the hero. She because was. it's the thought. It was an amazing gesture. And... Yes, it was just, it was nice to know that there is somebody out there who actually can do that sort of good deed mm. for somebody with nothing in return. I offer to pay him immediately. He's like, mate, I want you to let me do this. This is mm. my good deed for the day. So, love it. Everyone out there,
1: why don't we all go do a good deed today? Maybe it's something to do with having kids in the car because I had a
0: similar experience. Okay. Um, also, have been known to push the. Uh, I know all about that because I was driving (laughs) home from gym one day and Simon was walking down the hill (laughs) and I called him and he'd run out of petrol. Your car was like you'd pulled into a driveway or something. Anyway, um, I saved the day
1: that day. So this is a (laughs) few years ago now and I'm I'm between Yamba and Ballina. Mm -hmm. You know? I know the area. And for some reason i didn't stop at yamba to get petrol i had it i had it i was listening to a podcast and i just went through yeah and i think that's the stretch of the highway it might be the next stretch but i got through and i and then i had to make a call so it was quite a few kilometers up to the next exit and i'd have to go off that exit and oh then yeah. come back and go back to yamba yeah. and I was thinking about dinner <laughs> and I was like no I'm I'm gonna make it through to Ballina yeah. I'll get petrol and I'll be home
0: in Byron you think positive thinking is gonna like get you through this yes okay
1: <laughs> so I'm just like I've got it it's fine it's absolutely fine I talked myself into it I was in <laughs> denial <laughs> so um and it was like it, it it did say like how many kilometers I had left oh. and I had like 40 okay right and I always thought that I was on the reserve tank but with forty and I always thought that above that you probably There's the, a bit more. There's a little bit more left, in there. I? Yeah. Like, you're not gonna run out straight away. And so sure enough, I'm like just pushing through and I got about halfway and I'm like, I think I've made a bad decision. <laughs> and then it's halfway, so it's like there's no point doing <laughs> So and I was by myself. Um I was so I was I was by myself and ran out it was a really hot day as well 35 degrees mm. <sighs> ran out and I was in the right-hand lane because I figured there wasn't much room on the left mm-hmm. so on the right at least it was like this along the whole highway the shoulder gr- grass separating oh. the other side of the highway okay <laughs> yeah and it was hit or miss though, Drew, because sometimes it was grass and sometimes it was a lot of bush. Oh. And I kept thinking, well, if it's a lot of bush, I'm not going to be able, <laughs> able to pull over. So, I, it, it got, it started like gurgling. <laughs> and, and so, I pulled in onto this like grass thing and I was 12 kilometers oh, from see. BP.
0: Okay, you were close.
1: So, I really wanted to get to dinner. I was meeting someone for dinner. I just went straight into, okay, this, this is just... A cardio. I'm doing 12k, 12k run here. <laughs> so I just put my runners on and I started running down the, whole, the highway. So I turned it into a, a cardio session. Oh, that's great. And Ugh. I was thinking like cuz I'm running on the shoulder of a highway. Yeah. Cars and say. trucks are coming past. Like Did Ned you down the right you went I'm left basically lane. Ned Brockman at this. Left stage. Lane. <laughs> Shout out to Ned. Um and wait, left yeah. lane. I'm on the right lane. So you stayed in the fast lane.
0: You're a madman. Jeez. No,
1: but there was the it was there was rationale for this. Okay. Left lane, hardly any room. Okay. Right lane still had this like little bit of grass okay. that had been like mowed or whipped a down. Alright. So okay. I was actually running on like a rock grass composite, not on the the pavement. So okay. I could have a little bit of extra room. All right. But it was a bit sketchy. I'll give you that. Um super hot, thirty five degrees. I'm oh. doing this. I was sweating like a madman. Got down there, and I also, I didn't know, will they even have a jerry can? Yeah. What happens if they don't have a jerry can? Right. I'd have to find another petrol station. Yeah. (laughs) Got down there. BP. Drenched. (laughs) They had a jerry can. Filled it up. Now I've got 12, 12 Ks back. Someone gave you a lift. With 10 liters. No, no, no. Of petrol. Started running. I'm running back. (laughs) Holding this thing, <laughs> I'm like, this is the greatest workout ever. <laughs> I get about three k's in, and sure enough, trucks tooting, yep. get pulls over, get over. over. Okay, now he pulls over. Ah. It's like a big truck. Yeah, I can see him, and I'm like, he looks a bit scary. This yeah. guy, <laughs>
0: <laughs> another decision to make. Yeah, yeah, I
1: was, I was honestly, I wasn't getting into the car at this stage. Yeah, okay. it's like, I'm, I don't know. Yeah, I'll this, run it off. This could end up on the news. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and. So I was re- quite ready to say, mate, it's not that far. Even though it was nine k's, yeah. and you're already
0: done, nearly half marathon.
1: The door opens, and his two kids are there. His two boys. So so instantly, like, you feel safe. Well, this is now a different yes. calculation. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like there's a lot less yeah. riskier. <laughs> um, so sure enough, got in. He's like, mate, I'll give you a lift. Where is it? And in fact, we had to take a turn because I was like, uh, he, where he was going was slightly. He had to go past where he would have turned off. Right. So he kept going for Legend. me. Yeah. And um, I wanted to give him some money. Wouldn't take Wouldn't it. Wouldn't take it. Um, so shout out to that guy as that well. That is awesome.
0: Yeah. That is that's that. So we've had a similar experience. You know exactly how it feels to have that person go. Yeah. I've got the solution. Yeah. Let me help you. And that's the thing, right? They wanted to do it because it made them feel good, and they knew mm. they were doing something good for mm. you nothing in return pass it on it wasn't a means to an end that's the way you gotta think about it that's good man that's some good news well there we go you just hit us with two pieces of good news
1: so what nice gesture
0: are you going to do well I think the idea is to have the mindset of do it when you need to do it but don't go out there trying it like mm. don't don't force it do you know what I mean it feels like it's ticking off a box yeah a yeah. I mean obviously do good things for people as much as but you, can, you but if you have
1: the mindset of being kind and generous, you'll see that opportunity to True. help
0: someone. Very wise words. I like it.
1: Perhaps that's where
0: we call it a day. Yeah, feels like a very positive get, ending. You know, I had, you know. I had like on my list. I had social media trend that needs to die. <laughs> that was the next thing up. But let's leave it there. <laughs> we'll, we'll save that for we'll another. Bring one. that
1: segment back next to next time. Yeah, let's just be positive, Thanks, mate. It's uh, it's been a while since. We've done this, so oh, I appreciate great. you coming in. And yeah. um, there's there's a lot of support from the community uh, for you out there. Oh, I get good. plenty of messages to get you back on. Oh, so awesome! I'm glad people people enjoy it. liking it.
0: I love it always. I think it's so much fun, and I love the educating part. And again, cannot wait to do it in person in Bali mm-hmm. for our first immersive experience. And You know, there'll probably be others in other locations yet to be decided, but Mm -hmm. the first one's going to be epic, and uh, I'm really, really excited. We'll see you there. Yes, see you there, guys.
1: There we go, friends. Thank you for showing up and the effort you're making to take better control of your health. I look forward to hanging out with you again next week for another episode.